Hey, how's it going? Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf. You are New York Knicks. You guessed it. They fell to the Atlanta Hawks 117 to 111. Alex, what are we going to talk about? Well, we'll talk about this Julius Randle-less game, uh, which ended with a flurry of R.J. Barrett and didn't quite go super well down the stretch, unfortunately. So we'll talk about what that means for the Knicks going forward in a potential Julius Randle-less future. Talk about a big defensive performance from Mitchell Robinson, Obi Toppin start, and also not finish, uh, and a bunch more next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. We want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today. And every day we're now available on all podcasting platforms, including know this if you can see our smiling but through clenched teeth grins uh we are now on youtube uh so please 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 if you haven't already check us out on youtube i'm gavin shaw a play-by-play broadcaster fresh off of broadcasting the new york state basketball tournament on the nfhs network he is alex wolf editor-in-chief of the strickland the greatest Knicks website out there fantastic content for days certainly go check them out And uh, yeah, the New York Knicks fall 117 to 111 to the Atlanta Hawks. A well-played game. I thought Alex, the first half from R.J. Barrett was one of the better halves of basketball I've I've seen him play in his entire career. Uh, Certainly from a playmaking perspective, that was about as good as it got, empowered by Julius Randle's absence. Uh, The second half, and particularly his finish down the stretch, not so much. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think it sort of underscores the the need for if – the Knicks do end up moving on from Julius Randle at some point, the need for a legitimate co-star for RJ Barrett on this team, uh, which, you know, actually today is double drop day. So we're dropping two episodes today and two episodes tomorrow. Uh, After our game recaps, we'll have up a little later episodes with Ricky O'Donnell from SB nation talking about the draft. So, you know, maybe listen to that later for later today. We'll have the episode up with our, our top three, prospects uh that maybe could serve as a good running mate for rj but in this particular game i just you know i thought down the stretch things got predictable in a way that was sort of reminiscent of how things go when randall's out there except for rj was being the one empowered to like finish the game but just didn't have for one thing that it seemed like the juice left to do it uh but then for two the game plan just was not great you know it's like the rotations didn't make any sense, you know, once again, you know, Obi Toppin gets in, in foul trouble with five fouls. And yet Taj Gibson, I think played the last 15 minutes of the game uh, at the, at the power forward spot, not even at the center, you know, he played power forward for the final 15 minutes of the game. And just, it's like, you know, Obi, I know he's not hitting a lot of three pointers. Like, honestly, if you went and looked at the stats, Taj is probably hitting his threes at a better rate than Obi is, but Obi at least offers you something else where you could you can have him on the perimeter and he doesn't even have to be a three-point threat necessarily. He can just sort of be the threat of like 
a, a driver, a cutter, you know, a slasher. Like you could put the ball in his hands and he can he can make a slashing move against a fellow power forward sometimes. Also and, that backside lob, Alex. We saw it earlier where RJ hit yeah. him, where all the Hawks defenders were staring at RJ. But if you forget about Obi, that's that's two points every time. And I was gonna talk about mostly RJ, but Obi on another play, you know, got the ball on the perimeter like at around the elbow for three in this game too, and drove in and made a, a beautiful dime to Evan Fournier for a three at one point too. So it's like Obi offers you a lot more than what Taj offers you on offense. And Taj wasn't even like rebounding and stuff. So it was just kind of like, what's the point here? And he got cooked like a number of times by a couple guys on the Hawks. But anyway, as far as RJ is concerned, you know, I thought that things just got a little less creative. It was kind of just turning into like, okay, RJ break down the defense and get inside except for both Taj and Mitch are basically there already. So you're just going to get swallowed up every time, but we don't really have a better plan than that. So go ahead, be free, you know? And (laughs) if it wasn't that, it was like having Alec Burke set up the offense when Emmanuel quickly is on the floor, which also just doesn't make any sense because quickly is definitely the better person to set the offense up and have Burks out there as a potential spot up three point option when, you know, quickly obviously functions so much better as a you know a pull up or step back you know three point type shooter than just purely a spot up guy right now, so I don't know. It's just it was an annoying game, Gavin. I feel like we say this almost every game, but like even without Julius Randall, I appreciated to look at a blueprint for what a Julius Randall list Knicks team could potentially look like, and yet I felt like things still got tibsed up enough that it became unenjoyable by the end of the game to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And I thought this game functioned as an interesting look at, at the Knicks future. I mean, obviously, if I had to bet, I, I'd put it like 75%, 80% that Randall is on the team opening day next year. Like, I, I would, I'd still be pretty surprised if he's not. But maybe this is uh, the future, like, post-trade deadline next year or or in a season and a half. Um, I, I, I feel like we got some perspective on, all right, RJ, like, we've been arguing for this for weeks, like he, he is the preeminent star on this team. Now, what does an RJ centric team look like? And in the first half, when RJ was absolutely rolling, it looked pretty awesome to me. I mean, especially on the offensive side of the floor, like RJ was either getting to the rim at will, um, or he was just like throwing like some sick passes that weren't always, it wasn't always about him getting assists. Sometimes it was about him like getting, making the pass that led to the pass and just, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll dive in on it now just because I don't know if we'll, we'll circle back to RJ after this, but just his screen manipulation in the first half, I thought was so good. Like he, he had a play where he just put Trey basically in a, in a turnstile, like bobbing and weaving around a Mitchell Robinson screen. Then when Trey was almost like borderline, like concussed by like running back and forth, RJ just put a shoulder into him and finished over him. Um, and then just his, I mean, his ability to, again, when the floor was spread, and it was in part because you have to respect that lob threat that Obi has, um, he was just getting to the rim at will. Like he absolutely toasted uh, Bogdan uh, or yeah, Bogdan Bogdanovich. I'm, I'm confusing my Bogdanoviches um, on, a, on a hesitation move. Um, had this great two-man game with Quentin Grimes where Grimes drove and kicked it to RJ. Then RJ drove, kind of sensed the double team coming, did like this really quick spin move and, and the Hawks defender literally just fell down. RJ just fired it back out to Grimes for three. I mean, had the shot at the buzzer. Then there was there was one more play uh, late in the fourth quarter I wanted to go over, like midway through the fourth quarter, where RJ just drove and left, threw it out to Obi Toppin on the perimeter. Obi threw it to IQ on the right wing. Then Obi cut off of it. IQ like rocked a bounce pass inside to him. And it, it sort of was Obi catching it and throwing it to Mitch. It was mostly Obi kind of missing it and deflecting it over to Mitch. 
but I'm still going to give Obi Toppin credit for that because it was it was his chemistry with Emmanuel quickly and the fact that unlike Taj, he actually has has the verve to cut back door and create that opportunity. So I think what we were seeing offensively from the Knicks was a combination of RJ's ability to win one-on-one, but the young guys especially um, to play with pace in the half court off of it because so many times you'll see RJ create an advantage and the ball end up with Julius Randle and Julius Randle will just kind of stop everything and, and go into like his like two dribble like ISO game. Um, but with this group of Knicks, like they were all willing to like be RJ centric and say, all right, he throws it to me with an edge. I'm going to make the next pass and I'm going to create an opportunity for someone else. And by and large, that worked pretty well. Sure, it bogged down a little bit at the end of the game. And it tells you maybe the Knicks need some talent upgrades and some skill upgrades at certain spots. But you can see an outline of what an R.J. Barrett-centric offense would look like. And with the right guys around him, um, I think it could be pretty good. Yeah, it's actually funny when you said, you know, speed up the half-court offense. As much as at this point in the season, I hate to give Tibbs credit for much based off of what he's subjected us to this year. Uh he did say he was like mic'd up on TNT and said something to the effect in the one huddle that they pointed out in the broadcast, which shout out to uh, um, Spiro Adidas, uh, MSG alum, which was, it was nice to hear his voice again, but they pointed it out, you know, on there uh, that he had said, let's play with, you know, make sure you play with pace in the half court. And they were like, Oh, you know, they went over to him and Greg Anthony talked about that for a minute. And I was like, yeah, that's a good point. And you know what? Honestly, that they are doing that with Obi out there because Obi's just like constant motion. He's a whirling dervish. Like he's just he's everywhere and nowhere all at once. And that was what sort of made it. I mean, I guess it made it all the more tipsy to then see the Knicks like close with something totally different. And, you know, tips to be preaching this like play with pace earlier and then later in the game be like, let's just bog this down into like RJ drives in the paint and or Alec Burks sets things up. And Alec Burks is like, like molasses setting up offense i mean i think that he plays his role really well when he plays as a you know scorer and a bench player but as a guy setting up the offense his idea of setting up the offense is like walking the ball up as slow as humanly possible getting the offense set as slow as he possibly can which just doesn't match with how guys like rj and quickly and ob if he was out there and even mitch to a degree like want to play while they're out there. And so it just, it, it was frustrating in that regard. I wish that we could have seen more of that like pace offense, you know, uh, in the half court, because that's something that the Knicks have been so sorely missing. And the lack of movement, the lack of pace is, has really been one of their biggest Achilles heels this year, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't agree more. I almost can't even get the words out. Um, I think it's just, it's also just so much more fun to watch when there's like some real verve in the half court. And I think someone someone summed this up well on, on Twitter, like saying like, you know, I don't think Julius is a bad player. I think in the right context, he could be really effective and helpful, but I'm just sort of done with the Julius Randle experience. And like I, that really resonated with me because I was like, yeah, I just don't need to watch like the slow down like ISO ball anymore. Like, sure, if you're like, I, I mean, the Hawks almost have some of that on their own with, with Trey Young just because he's so ISO heavy, but at least he's doing it like out of like these quick like dribble handoff actions. Where with Julius, it's like to your point, molasses is the only word to describe it. And I'm just, I'm just kind of sick and tired of watching it. Even on the nights the shots are going in, it's kind of unappealing. And again, that's I hate to turn this into a Julius rant on a night where he didn't even play, but I guess, I guess that's where I'm going at this point. The the trains left the station. Um, I even even when when it's working well, it doesn't feel good, and it sucks because within him, there's like this really quick decision making, like smart passing bully ball style power forward that 
I think would fit in perfectly to a system like that. Like I, I was kind of thinking like to your point down the stretch watching this game, man, RJ needs a playmaking four next to him. And I kind of hit myself in the head. I was like, Oh, they have a playmaking four mid second team all NBA next year, but it's uh, last year, but it just, it just doesn't work because he doesn't always want to play with that pace outside of that seven game stretch heading into all-star game where I think he really brought that. And, and the Knicks looked a whole lot better when he did. Yeah, I agree. And uh, it's unfortunate that we don't get to see that as often. And I, I think again, you know, to bring it full circle, I think that comes down to coaching. Like the coach has to instill these things in the players and get them to buy in. And it seems like at least late in the game, it's hard to believe that, you know, Julius or anyone is like hijacking this team when it seems like it constantly gets co-signed by the head coach that, you know, slowing the pace down to the molasses offense is our preferred method. But uh, Gavin, I don't know if the pace stats available to bet on. But is there anywhere that Knicks fans could potentially bet? Maybe on RJ Barrett's scoring averages for the rest of the year, because that is a big thing. I think from this point, our friend Pat O'Keefe has been uh, highlighting this after every game. I think at this point now, if RJ averages like 22.3 points per game the rest of the way out, he will have over 20 points per game for the first time in his career. That's pretty cool. And the place you would go to bet on something like that is, of course, betonline.net. It's that time of year again as college basketball's tournament is finally upon us. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, betonline.net is the number one source for all your sports betting needs and info. And given that, Alex, I went to betonline.net to check out uh, some of the college basketball odds for tomorrow. And man, Gonzaga against Arkansas. I don't really understand how Gonzaga is a, a nine and a half point favorite over the Razorbacks to the top defense in the SEC year after year that team is just extremely tough and, and and this season's Arkansas team is no different I think they're going to give Gonzaga a great game Gonzaga feels like a little bit shaky to me coming out of that game against Memphis so I think Arkansas keeps it pretty close and then the other game I was looking at was Villanova against Michigan uh five and a half point line in that one I think Michigan is they have a lot of talent, but this run feels like slightly fraudulent to me. Like they were just not that good of a team during the regular season. Villanova, on the other hand, just a machine under Jay Wright. I think I think Villanova uh, wins that game pretty comfortably. But again, the place to go to check those out is betonline.net. And BetOnline also remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs including live betting and your favorite vegas casino games so head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action bet online where the game starts and our next partner is a product that i literally use every day uh i started taking athletic greens because i am kind of a health freak like i'm really really over the top about how i eat and despite that and despite putting like a lot of time and attention on it i find it very difficult uh to hit all my nutrient needs every day It's, it's pretty complicated we all get busy um, and Athletic Greens makes that process very simple. So what is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all the things. I started taking it before workouts because I find it gives me like a little boost of energy and kind of kind of a, a, a kind of a calm, cool and collected feeling that that sort of takes me through the rest of the day. And I really I really like that feeling going into the gym. Uh, it, it's lifestyle friendly. So whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy free or gluten free, it works for all that it contains less than one gram of sugar. There's no GMOs. There's no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while still tasting extremely good. 
And it costs less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. It's cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself. That, that's kind of the premise. You're investing in all-in-one nutritional insurance. And the great thing is it has over 7,000 five-star reviews. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into flu and cold season and just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NBA network. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash NBA network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, so we are back on the Locked On Knicks podcast and alex uh i'm gonna throw it over to you we, we've kind of covered rj we've kind of covered ob uh who did you want to touch on next i mean i think we could probably go to mitchell robinson you know i just thought i thought this was a good game for him uh 30 35 minutes you know the, the stats uh, outside of the stocks which i'm going to bring up in a second i mean the, the base stats won't blow you away like nine nine points six boards four six shooting one to six from the free throw line i mean He's got to fix that soon. I mean, he's got to figure out how to shoot free throws. Like some of them were kind of, I mean, I won't say backbreaking, but they came at somewhat key moments. And some of them came after plays that he himself generated. Like, I mean, uh, he, he had two really good offensive sequences. One had a switch on uh, with Kevin Herter on him and just absolutely destroyed him. It was like, like uh Shaq on Chris Dudley levels, you know, just like turned around and just dunked over him because he knew that he could um, and obliterated Herter on that play. And that was, that was great. Uh, and Can not I, a play. Go ahead. I just want to very quickly note on that, uh, that Julius Randall has looked off Mitchell Robinson in similar mismatches, no less than 600 times this season. And Evan Fournier, bless his heart. The one guy willing to make that pass seemingly all year gives Mitch a chance. And look what he does. He buries Kevin Herter. He sent him back to Albany as Spiro Dinas told us a million times. That's where Kevin Herter's from. So thanks for that Spiro. Um, but yeah, I just, yeah, I've been waiting all season for that. So that, that was, that was for me. That was the highlight of this game. Yeah, stop me if you've heard this before, that that Kevin Herter's from Albany or that this was the first time that Trey Young had been back in MSG since the playoffs last year. Because there were so – they talked as if the Hawks had been to MSG like 14 times this year. I'm just like (laughs) – They've been I, I also once. got I got angry every time he said Gallinari during the game. I'm not not a big Spiroditas guy, but yeah. Anyways, yeah. go ahead. I mean, you know, like I said, it was nice to hear an, an old familiar voice, but I also sure. remember why he's far, he was far and away the the inferior option to Mike Breen, <laughs> just like any other guy that ever comes on that's not Mike Breen on the Knicks broadcast. Um, outside of maybe our buddy Ed Cohen, I think I think he's Ed, got Ed, a good, good case for Ed's got a good case for heir apparent. Um, <laughs> anywho. Yeah, there was that play, and then the play where Mitch didn't get to capitalize on the free throws was uh, he got it and actually pulled like sort of a nice post move and and pulled a spin move on Capella, which wasn't even a mismatch, but you know got the ball in the post, made a very quick decision to just make a quick turnover his left shoulder and go up for a layup and missed it because he got fouled, but then clanked absolutely clanked both free throws. Um, just uh, you know, shooting one to six in the free throw line just isn't isn't going to get it done anytime. And that's definitely something he's got to work on. But the the seven stocks that he got in this game, all super impressive, I thought. I thought the timing was immaculate. His ability to clean up other people's messes was great. Uh, unfortunately, nobody was able to clean up his 
slight mess on the one where he got a great block after helping over on uh, DeAndre Hunter, I believe, going up for a layup. And or maybe that one was hurt or two. I don't know. I forget. But he helped over on someone and then blocked it and then nobody else around could grab a rebound. And so Kongwu grabbed it and then wound up getting fouled um, and getting a couple free throw opportunities himself. But it was I I just thought a really nice, well-rounded game for Mitch. You know, it was, I guess, I don't know, seven stocks is just like somewhat normal for him at this point. But I found his timing to be good in this game. Maybe the rebounding left a little bit to be desired, but you know, it it was a tough matchup against Capella and he still did his damage on the offensive glass, which is what you really look for from Mitch anymore. Um, So I don't know. I I thought it was a really good game from him and, and we actually got to see some new stuff, which was kind of nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally with you. I thought it was crazy from the beginning of the game, how he was just overwhelming Capella on the, on the offensive boards. It was five or six plays in a row at the beginning of the first quarter where he either got the rebound or he got a hand on it and it was taken away, but he was, just, he was kicking Capella's ass at the beginning of this game. And then to your point, the rim protection, like that first block, he basically caught Hunter's shot just like with his left hand in one motion. And then it ended up being a tie up, but he, he just had like some, some mean blocks in this game, which were, which were great. And I remember last year before the Hawks playoff series, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was our, our guy, Benji Ritholtz apologies. If it was someone else, but someone was tweeting out like a film thread preview in the series. And they were saying like, I would pick the Knicks in five if they had a healthy Mitchell Robinson, because of his ability to play in space in a Trey young Clint Capella pick and roll, which, which tortures most teams in the NBA, particularly last year, that was one of the best pick and roll combos in the league. And he was noting how, like, during the regular season, like, there were all these different plays where Mitch would would come in and, and sort of in a one-on-two situation find a way to deflect the pass. And in this game, twice. Like, w- once he deflected the pass and it led to, um, I believe it was Fournier getting the ball, throwing it ahead to Obi. Obi got a run-out dunk. And then another play halfway through the fourth quarter where he just caught it with one hand. And it, it, it's those type of plays that sort of make, an, make a case for paying him this summer because I, I'm just looking at that. I'm like, there's only, like, so many guys on planet Earth who could make that play like Capella's an incredible lob target. Trey Young's like a savant level passer. And yet here's Mitch. Like he's so long and so quick off the, off the ground that he's able to disrupt that. And he just, he does some special stuff defensively to your point. The, the offensive game has to expand. I'd love to see more of like that reverse pivot that he had. The free throws have to get better, but he does things for, for lack of a, a non-cliche term that you, you just can't teach. Yeah. I think if he just works in, a few things on his offensive end, you know, the floor, like free throw shooting is one thing. Cause he does actually draw a decent amount of fouls at the amount of offensive rebounds. He's growling, you know, it, it stands to reason you're going to get hacked. If you get an offensive rebound and go to put it back up a lot of the time, you know, if he fixes that and just develops like two post moves, you know, like just like a little hook shot and, you know, the ability to like just back someone down and get a layup. I mean, that's, if he just does some of the stuff that he did today and maybe, you know, modifies a little bit to have more of like a hook shot that he can just sort of toss up there, which like for all of his faults, especially in this game, like Taj Gibson has displayed a very nice little baby hook that he's had for his time on the Knicks. Like ask Taj to give you some lessons. You know, I, I think that would do wonders for Mitch's game and make him, you know, a guy that could be worth that contract that he wants this off season. Um, of course, you know, it's, it's going to require an investment from the Knicks or some other team to say, Hey, we're going to give you the money. Now you have to develop these skills. And if you don't, then we're kind of (laughs) screwed. So, uh, but 
it, when we're talking about uh, working on things, I think some people might be interested in working on their car soon because it's nice out. And you guys know that means you got to check out rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, you guys know it's it's impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. If you've ever been like me and you've walked into one of those stores, you hate the experience because it's a bunch of dudes sitting behind a desk and then you go up and you're like, you start asking the questions about the parts you need. Then they're like asking you, you know, all these intricate questions about your car that have nothing to do with the part that you came up and said that you need. Then they give you the price and you're like, oof, like your eyes pop out of your head because it's so expensive. And they tell you it's going to take a few days to come from their warehouse because of course, they can't stock it at the store. They don't have enough room. It's a tiny store. Think of how many cars there are. And, you know, then it, when it all comes down to it, you end up paying a ton of money, having to wait a few days anyway, going to pick it back up at their store. And, you know, it burns a huge hole in your pocket or on your credit card statement or whatever to get the part that you need. Well, that's where you can go to rockauto.com. Why would you want to spend 30%, 50%, or even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store? when you could get them off rockauto.com and have them sent right to your house and have them be a lot less expensive. For example, if you want to fix up the family van, a Honda Odyssey fuel pump is $353 from a chain store, just $216 from rockauto.com. With that amount of savings, you could take the family out for a nice dinner after you fix the family van and still break even on that you know box store price. So definitely head to rockauto.com right now, and you can see all the parts available for your car or truck. If you decide to get something right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. All right, we're back. Uh, Gavin, I'll just remind everybody again, there is going to be a second episode coming from us today. If you're listening to this in the morning, if you check back in the afternoon, there will be another episode in your feed. But if you're listening to this in the afternoon, there's probably already two episodes in your feed today. Uh, there's this episode and then another episode with Ricky O'Donnell from SB Nation, where we're getting into some NCAA tournament week one chit chat about what happened over the, the first weekend of the tournament, how it affects some of the prospects. And we're getting into the big three, the, the top three guys projected in the draft in the first episode. Uh, but Gavin, as far as this miserable affair, uh, I'll throw it to you. What do, what do you want to talk about next? We've gotten through, you know, RJ, we've gotten through Mitch. I, I don't know who uh, stands out to you that we should talk about next. Yeah, uh, Emmanuel quickly. Uh, pretty, pretty awesome game. 17 points in 25 minutes, five boards, two assists. Uh, it was a little, little stat padding and garbage time too. Those layups came after the game was pretty much decided, but uh, I loved uh the way he attacked the rim, especially in the fourth quarter, like it, it was really one play in, in, in particular that that really stood out to me. Um, and it was interesting because, I mean, sp speaking of the the broadcast team is what he did. I thought this was a very good point by Greg Anthony and in like the first or second possession of the game where he was. I can't remember if it was someone on the Knicks or someone on the Hawks, but someone got called for an illegal screen. And he said, you know, a lot of times that's just as much on the guard as it is on the big because you got to give your big a second to get established before you make your move. And um, we had Prez on recently and he was talking about like one of the most essential skills he wanted guys on the Knicks to learn is for the bigs to learn like screen craft. And I thought we saw some really good flashes of that from both Jericho and Mitch in this game with their ability to flip their screens at the last possible second. I already mentioned um, RJ and Mitch kind of doing that dance to just torture Trey Young on one play. There was another one um, with RJ and Jericho 
where he crossed one way and then um, he kind of like gave Jericho like an extra second to flip the screen, cross the other. Herter got a step behind him. And then again, unlike last season's Emmanuel quickly, he had the burst to get all the way to the rim, beat DeAndre Hunter there as well, and, and hit this smooth righty layup. Had had another two, two like very late in the game again, where it was essentially over, where he showed off like kind of like a nice hesitation and going all the way to the back basket, excuse me. Um, the big thing to me is that he has the intent to get all the way to the rim. I almost don't care like what the context is or whether the shot goes in. I just don't like him settling for floaters at this point because we, we've seen that he has the burst. He has the aggressiveness to get to the basket. His efficiency is only going to increase over time. It's certainly an area he has to get a whole lot better, both in terms of volume and, and accuracy once he gets to the rim. But I love I love the attitude from IQ, and you combine that with his shooting really picking up, you, you got yourself a real player um, at the back of point guard spot. Yeah, I'm with you there. I mean, I liked I liked the game from IQ a lot as well. Um, I, I like that his shooting touch is coming back. I'm, I'm very appreciative of that from him because there were so many times, uh, you know, over the last few months where I was legitimately worried that that was starting to leave him. But um, or it, it just that maybe last year, sort of like how Randall's was, that it was just sort of an aberration that his shooting was as good as it was last year, but. That certainly doesn't seem to be the case. Um, and, you know, I just I enjoy the pace that he that he brings to the team. You know, it just it always seems like whenever he's out there, they're pushing the pace more. They're getting out, you know, and and starting possessions on a better note. And that all comes back to that. You know, we were talking about in the first segment with the half court pacing and and all that stuff. Like, I don't know. I, I think that quickly brings a lot of that. And it really showed through in this game. And, and I thought this was one of maybe not his best playmaking outing, like purely of the season so far, but definitely one of his best scoring outings and best like per minute outputs this year. And, and I'm in total agreement with you. I think it was very noteworthy and, and really good on his part uh, in this game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was, he was fantastic. Um, next guy uh, I'm going to go to is uh Quinn Grimes, who are, you know, I'll do him and Miles McBride and Jericho Sims sort of as, as one big uh, rookies, rookie sum segment, because I thought all those guys had good moments and bad moments in this game. Like Grimes, this is uh, because I, I, I was away over the weekend. This was the first time I got to see him back. And I just got this big smile on my face when I think it was like the fourth play he was in. He, he got a poke away and I was like, oh, yeah, this dude just has like like not like rocks for hands on offense, but rocks for hands on defense, where if he, if he touches it, it's going away. And like he combined on this like great defensive play with Jericho and and miles where he was trailing. Oh my God. Who was it? I want to say, Oh yeah, it was was Bogdanovich. Um, And Sims just flashed right. Like in, in help. Um, And he turned Bogdanovich around and Grimes is just like, man, he's like a freaking piranha out there. Like was anticipating Bogdanovich turning back, stripping the basketball, Deuce gets down, gets a tie up. Knicks ultimately get possession. Um, And it was just one of those plays. Like we, we talked about, I think it was like a couple of games back where it was like Jericho IQ and McBride all combining um, to get a block shot, basically where you see like the speed and the tenacity and the aggressiveness. And again, you, you have visions for what a future team could look like around RJ Barrett. And you just, Surrounding with all these high-level three and D guys who also have enough savvy offensively to attack a closeout and to make the next pass. I already referenced that play where Grimes and RJ had that great little two-man game that ended up with a Grimes three. Um, Grimes also was the one who got a rebound in traffic and then got the throw ahead to RJ um, to set up that layup to end the first quarter. It was like a nice bit of toughness and a nice bit of awareness to get the basketball off the court. 
He also had some lows. Like he, he missed two threes that he just absolutely forced. And it sort of felt like, oh, I haven't gotten a shot in a while. So I have to, I have to fire these up. But overall, a good game for him. Similar with Deuce, like where Deuce like had a nice pass, hit a nice triple off of a pass from Grimes, but had some bad plays defensively against Bogdanovich. And Alex, I'd, I'd be curious your thoughts on this because I think his one-on-one defense is really, really good, but his off-the-ball defense, and this is a problem for so many guys on this Knicks team, really leaves something to be desired where he overhelped and the first time gave up a three to Bogdanovich, the second time overhelped, and then was like, oh, shoot, I'm going to do it again. Closed out too hard. Bogdanovich sped right past him and hit a double pump layup at the rim. And to me, that's just a case of like, all right, this is why this dude needs to play a whole bunch of minutes. And, and tips to his credit, did put McBride back in for a little bit after this happened. But the guy needs to play 20, 30 minutes a night because that's the only way in the NBA you learn that you, you got to make adjustments to those things because everyone can shoot a little bit better and everyone's a little bit quicker when, when you're trying to recover on a closeout. And the other thing is that, you know, I think Tibbs is so much like a practice coach, you know, but there's only so much you could teach in practice, right? Like, you know, you know your teammates and you know their tendencies and you know what's going to happen roughly because you're all in practice together. You know, in a live game situation, help defense, you know, requires that, like you said, the, the kind of stuff you can only learn on an NBA court, you know, as far as getting the timing right and knowing when to gamble, when not to gamble, that sort of thing. And and I'm in agreement with you. I mean, it, it it's got to be a priority the rest of the, of the year to play a guy like Deuce more minutes, you know, than, than like eight, you know, I, I understand, I, I guess it would really, it's, it's going to take, and I'm curious to see if things even change after this, but it's, it's going to basically take the Knicks getting fully 100% mathematically eliminated from the plane, which they got one step closer to after this, but it kind of sounds like the way that Tibbs is talking. He had some comment after the game about how, you know, oh, oh, we're not looking at the numbers and we'll just wait, you know, like we're not, we're not out till we're out kind of thing. And it's like, dude, you're out. Like, just give it up, please. <laughs> we're out. But, <laughs> yeah. Great. But, but I'm with you. Like, you know, I, I think that Deuce does definitely, you know, his man defense is probably the best on the team. You know, I, I don't think there's too much uh, question there. Um, but like his, his team defense needs some work. He, he needs to get those nuances down and, you know, I wish I had a better answer than it's just it's just something that comes with time. But I think that really is the case. You know, I think individual defense, it, you know, you can just have that. Like, that's just like the innate ability side of defense. But being a good team defender just comes with time and recognition and that sort of thing. And, and he needs to get those reps to get that. I also thought, I mean, I thought it was kind of absurd that there were stretches of this game where uh, particularly um, I think I'm thinking of the third quarter when it opened up and Tibbs took a particularly long time to make his first sub in the third quarter. And then Trey young kind of started like really doing his damage in the third and not one of Grimes quickly or McBride were in the game at that time. And all three of those guys would have been a pretty decent guy to throw on Trey young and say, stop him or at least slow him down. And Tibbs didn't do that. And that's just another one of those things where he could have set up a really nice, like, learning experience for Deuce McBride, um, you know, against Trey Young and, and put him out there on him. I guess that's something that he only affords to Frank Nilakina at the closing seconds of a half in a playoff game. Um, you know, that's that's the only time you get a chance to learn on Trey Young on the fly. But, you know, it's it, there were so many opportunities to get Deuce a few more minutes in this game and this, like, 
insistence on getting Alec Burks like 38 minutes a game just got in the way of that again, uh, unfortunately. So maybe once the Knicks finally get mathematically eliminated, we'll start to get uh, get to see more of Deuce and, and more of these guys getting some more learning experiences out there. Yeah, I mean, to your point, even if McBride gets roasted, that's not a bad thing. It doesn't matter. No. It really, really doesn't matter. It just just let him let him try because he, he has to at some point. Um, ironically, I will end, end, end my part of the pod by saying uh, shout out to Alec Burks, who played a, a pretty darn good game, at least in terms of his shot making. Obviously, there were some issues on defense. There were some issues in terms of his pacing relative to other guys, but he he made just some he had some tough hits down the street. I mean, early in this game, kept the Knicks in it when they were really struggling just by hitting three threes and a turnaround in the first like eight and a half minutes of this game. And then in the fourth, just two huge mid rangers one where he like absolutely rocked Kevin Herter to sleep, like going between the legs twice in the second one Herter Like he almost slipped almost as badly as, as Taj did on Trey young later in the game. It's we, I probably shouldn't have even mentioned, um, but uh, Burks, I thought this was one of his better offensive games over the last 50 or so, which have, have by and large been a miserable experience for him. Again, no fault of his own being asked to play a position and a role that he is not qualified for and, and never really has had to do. So uh, happy for Alec Burks having, having a good night scoring the basketball. I agree. I thought Burks had a fine night too. You know, I mean, he can have a good game and still have played too many minutes. You know, it's just like, it's not well, his yeah, fault. Of Tibbs. It's not his fault that Tibbs wants to play him like 40 minutes. And he, he did a really good job with his 40 minutes. He even finished a little bit, which is more than we usually get <laughs> from the Alec Burks experience. So I'm, I'm fine with ending on that happy note. Again, uh, if you're listening to this and it's the afternoon uh, on Wednesday, then check your feed because there's probably another episode sitting there for you uh, with Ricky O'Donnell of SB Nation where we're going to talk about the presumptive top three picks in this draft, their performances in the first weekend of the NCAA tournament and what it means for their stock going forward. And uh, we'll have another double drop coming tomorrow because the Knicks are on a back-to-back. So we'll cover the Hornets game tomorrow and then have the second part with Ricky where we talk about a ton more prospects to close the show out. But uh, until next time, which might be in like two minutes. So hopefully we'll (laughs) see you in two minutes with Ricky. Uh, Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you all soon. Peace out.